This extended interview is being published alongside a podcast on gender-affirming care for kids, which you can hear by visiting our website at hearmenowpodcast.org. You will also find there a directory of additional extended interviews on trans-related healthcare issues. Up next, producer Scott Acord talks with his colleague, Jane Hopke, who identifies herself as pansexual. This conversation is being archived at the National Folklife Center at the Library of Congress as part of the Hear Me Now Oral History Project, the largest collection of healthcare narratives in the country. So, Jane, we've uh, we've recently met and we had a, a little bit of a conversation uh, about a podcast we've got coming up on gender affirming care. Yes. And um, wanted to talk a little bit about your story. So can you just tell me a little bit about you, who you are? Sure. Um, well, I, you know, I, I was born in upstate New York near about halfway between Buffalo and Erie, Pennsylvania, to a, college, a very conservative college professor and his wife. Uh, grew up, in, you know, ironically enough, grew up in a liberal denomination of Christianity, Presbyterian, you know, Presbyterianism. And um, my life was full of contradictions, for sure. Um, I grew up with my parents saying, you know, accept everybody, you know, love, acceptance, that's, you know, that's the way that it needs to be. But then when it came to the LGBTQIA plus community, they're wrong. Um, and, you know, considering that when I was young and I, I, I did swimming lessons um, starting at about the age of five. So, of course, you know, I'm in the locker room changing, into, you know, changing in my bathing suit and seeing all everybody else changing into theirs. And I was like, OK, this feels funny. You know, I you know, what's going on? Because, you know, I'm you know, I'm feeling kind of funny. I'm, you know, like these are people I should be interested in. Um, but then I also felt the same way about boys. And so, you know, but because my parents were so traditional, I mean, it, let's put it this way. It was truly a white wedding between my parents. <laughs> um, that's how traditional my parents were, even in the sixties, they got married in 1968. Um, and then had me three years later. And so, um, you know, it just, it just, it just seemed very odd that, um, my parents would be so traditional in such a non-traditional time in American history, but facts are facts. And, um, and so that's how I was grew up, you know, that, that's how I was raised. And I was raised to be seen, but not heard. I was viewed more as a commodity than a human being. And I learned very early that I needed to suppress my feelings. And so um, in that respect, I ended up turning to food. Um, that ended up being my first addiction. 
um, and I'm still obviously struggling with it now. Um, but you know, when you're dealing with with the kind of trauma that you know that I dealt with during my life, it's it's hard. So my story is definitely intersectional because <laughs> there's just a lot going on. But I think that's the case with with most people that um, experience these kind of things. That there's just a lot of moving parts. Yeah, I'm a gay man, and I I knew around the time I was five or six. Mm-hmm that I was gay. I didn't have the language for it, but I knew that I was different and how I was different. And I was also raised in a very, I was raised evangelical and, you know, it was very strict. And so uh, it sounds like that you also had some inklings about your sexual identity or gender identity um, when you were young. Yeah, Uh, I would say more my sexual orientation than my gender identity. But um, but I was I also I also had questions about that because I tended to gravitate towards stuff that my dad was interested in. And I don't know if that was because he was the one that was doing the majority of the rejection. And so I was trying so hard to ingratiate myself with him or if it was just that I naturally gravitated toward those interests. Um, you know, it's it's something that I still question, and I'm 50 years old. Um, but I never questioned my gender identity. I always viewed myself as a woman. Um, so fortunately, I was born in, in the right biological body. Um, but as far as, you know, sexual orientation, you know, it's definitely something that I kept close to the vest for a very long time, um, you know, because... I was desperate to please my father and he was the one that really had some horrible notions despite the fact that he's an atheist <laughs> that's the other thing um it, so it wasn't rooted in religion no no not at all it was it was just more tr- you know the traditional 1950s suburban upbringing that anything different is wrong um do you have i'm sorry go ahead do you have siblings? I have a younger brother um, who is as conservative as my father. Um, they were definitely cut from the same cloth. Um, yeah, and um, he married a very traditional Catholic girl. And so again, another traditional white wedding. Um, and so I also have two nephews who are now teenagers. And you know, I no longer speak with my parents for a, lo- a myriad of reasons, um, but the final straw was how my father disparaged the trans community, you know, especially considering that one of my former partners is a trans woman. Um, and he, he knows that, um, you know, he knows that I'm pansexual. He knows that, um, you know, one of my former partners is a, is a trans woman, um, but it didn't matter. You know, it was just that blatant disregard and disrespect for me that anything he says is okay because he's the, he's the father. Um, and so that was just very frustrating and anger-inducing, and it just got to the point where it's just like, you know, I I have you know I'm finally at a place of acceptance. I accept them for who I, who they are. It doesn't mean that they have to be in my life. 
So, right. um, so I ended up disconnecting from them back in, in June of last year. Um, I don't have much of a relationship with my brother. Um, and the only relationship I have is to be polite so that I can continue to have access to my nephews. But, you know, because they've been so indoctrinated by the Catholic Church, um, you know, I understand this is a Catholic healthcare organization, but on this topic, um, you know, even with Pope Francis being a bit more progressive regarding, um, you know, gays and lesbians and bisexuals, you know, the message is still really destructive to the trans community that, that he is, that he's conveying. Um, and so I get very concerned about me being openly queer and, and you know, pansexual, um, being able to continue that relationship with my nephews. For someone who doesn't understand some of the terms, can you just briefly sure. talk a little bit about what pansexual means to you? Pansexual means that I am attracted to somebody um, regardless of gender identity or sexual orientation. Um, so I am attracted to men, women, non-binary, um, doesn't matter. Um, it's more of who the person is as a person that I, that I'm attracted to. And, you know, the, the anatomy is just, it's secondary. Um, that's, that's how I view my sexuality. And actually for me, it's just easier for me to say queer because queer by definition means not straight and or not cisgendered. I'm certainly not straight. <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, I just, I, I just tend to describe myself as queer versus pansexual, but I am both. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your upbringing? I know you, you mentioned, but like, what was your, what was your childhood, your your teen years like for you as you began to discover who you were? Oh my um, gosh, they were hard. Um, because I was trying so, I was deeply in the closet at that point. In fact, I, I never said anything about my reactions as a young girl in the locker room of my local Y. Um, just never got into that. Um, but uh, I, would, I would definitely say that um, deeply closeted um, and because of all of the issues that I was dealing with, with um, being gaslighted, marginalized, um, and you know, because I also had undiagnosed um, ADHD, so I'm also neurodiverse. Um, I didn't do well in school, so I couldn't be used as a trophy. And so there was all of that rejection that was coming from my father. And so I was so desperate to find a, you know, a boyfriend to, um, to fill that void because I thought that's what people do. They date in high school. They, you know, they have boyfriends. You know, I, I desperately wanted to fit that mold and be accepted um, to the detriment of who I really am. And it got me into a lot of, of trouble. Um, you know, I ended up 
getting into physical relationships a lot younger than I should have. Um, I ended up being sexually assaulted by somebody that I dated, um, you know, and it was, it was just, you know, and when I told my parents about the sexual assault, I was grounded for two weeks because I had sex in the house without parents around when I should have been a virgin until I was married to a man. Right. <laughs> um, and there was no consoling you about being sexually assaulted? No, not at all. No. Um, you know, and in fact, that's a pattern that, you know, that I discovered when I was four. Um, I had come home really upset because a couple of the neighborhood kids were bullying me. I turned to my parents and, and tried to talk to them about it. And they're just like, suck it up. So I, you know, even though I knew that I needed to tell them about the assault, I certainly wasn't expecting anything because I knew it was going to be the same, same stuff, different day. And it was, oh, so painful. Um, so here I am, you know, 50 years old, you know, no relationship, no kids. And I am single by choice right now because I don't know thing one about having an emotionally intimate relationship because I was so rejected, you know, for, you know, not only the ADHD and not achieving what I was supposed to achieve um, academically, you know, considering that, you know, my father is an academic. Um, but, because, you know, because I knew that I couldn't be true to myself, to my parents, I couldn't be open because they'd reject me that way too. When did you come out to yourself? I came out to myself in my mid twenties, but I didn't come out to my parents until 2016 when I was 45. Um, and again, you know, and again, it was, you know, because my, my father's viewpoints and that was really solidified when I was 17. Um, we knew that I was, I grew up in Illinois um, and we knew that we were moving back to New York um, right after I graduated from high school. So I went on a college tour with my mother of several colleges in upstate New York. And one of them happened to be a college where one of my dad's cousins had used to work in financial aid. And so somebody had asked us if we knew this person. I had no idea who they were. Uh, my mom responded, yeah, that's my husband's cousin. So we came back to Illinois and I asked my dad, who are these people? And he said, yeah, well, you know, there's Peter, who's pretty cool. There's Marion, who's a basket case. Um, and it's just, you know, she had, she had a mood disorder. So what? Um, and then there was, you know, and then there was, you know, the brother, um, and he was just very reluctant to say anything about, you know, uh, you know, about Jim. And, um, so I kept pushing and pushing and my dad had this outburst of saying, yeah, well, Jimmy's an F word. And that's when I was just like, oh, okay. That door shut. 
Um, I was shocked when he said that um, about his own blood, you know, about about somebody who had been with his partner as long, almost as long as I had been alive. Um, so, I mean, we're not talking about a short-term relationship that my that my cousin Jim had had and still has to this day. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's it's heartbreaking to um, you know to to feel that um, you know and and that I'm the next generation of rejection. Um, so it was just it was just unreal. It was just unreal what what happened, and so I was. You know, and in fact, to this day, I, I find dating women intimidating, you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with all those messages that, that I was getting as, as, a, as a child. And, and you just haven't been able to, to shake them. Right. Yeah. Can I ask you a personal question? Sure. Have you, have you been in therapy? Oh, absolutely. I've been in therapy for 30 years. <laughs> Um, but it's been difficult for me to be able to open up because of, you know, all those experiences. And it's really only been in the past, I would say, four months that, you know, with undergoing um, EMDR, um, which is a, a specialized type of therapy involving eye movement, um, that um, helps, which which has you going through various memories in your life and identifying feelings that you know sensations in your body that are tied to these memories and really kind of working through the emotions behind those bodily sensations um and that's been able to help me really kind of break through after all these years I mean, I had acknowledged the abuse in the past and I have tried to talk through them, but it's, there's just, there had just been such a disconnect between my logical mind, you know, my, my logical being and my emotional being. Um, and EMDR has been able to build a bridge between the two so that I can really process what has been happening for all these years. Um, you haven't talked much about your mom. What's is she? Is she just silent? Is she just? Well, I mean, she's an enabler. Um, she basically goes with whatever is going to keep the peace. Um, she was orphaned at fourteen, and so she's she tends to really try to hang on to relationships as quick, you know, as as tightly as she can. Um, and she's willing to go through a lot of nonsense in order to maintain those relationships. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I don't blame her. I, I, I completely understand that, that kind of mentality. I, I, I would never do it myself, but I can completely understand that kind of mentality. And it's, it's, it's awful. It's sad. Um, and I can't imagine what she went through as a child. Um, but, um, you know, unfortunately, it definitely impacted the way that she raised me. Um, 
and that's another reason why I didn't come out to you know to my parents earlier is because she and I had once had had a conversation, um, and it was about um, a trans man who had had you know it, the conversation started about a, a trans man that had just given birth and made national news, and this was probably about 10, 15 years ago. Um, and then we, you know, and I was like, look, you know, he's doing what he wants to do with his life. Just leave him well enough alone, you know, let it be, you know, and then we started talking, you know, and then, you know, and then she started talking about people that are bisexuals and, you know, she had the same mentality as a lot of people in that time where it was, you know, it was either a path to becoming a gay, you know, some, you know, gay or, le- or lesbian, or, you know, it was just one of those things where it's just like, you, you can't, it's a phase. You, you could, you, you know, you, you only stay in that space. You got to make a choice. And obviously with me being pansexual, you know, part of that bi- bisexual plus section of the LGBTQIA plus community, um, I had a real problem with it, but I didn't feel comfortable with saying anything. Because at that point, I was still very dependent on my um, on my parents, both financially and emotionally, and I there was no way I could rock the boat at that point. Yeah. Um. And and so um. You know, and then you know, so there's there's there was that piece of of the relationship, and then there was also the piece where she tends to treat me you know she tended to treat me like an immature incompetent six-year-old that had to be told everything you know and here i am i mean i've got a mortgage my car is paid off i have a successful career in, in healthcare finance um you know i'm doing um you know i'm i'm well. doing some wonderful things with my life <laughs> um you know, I am a full-fledged adult, despite the fact that sometimes I have imposter syndrome about it. <laughs> but um, I, I really kind of, re, you know, I, I've been doing the limited contact. I had been doing the limited contact thing with her probably for about five, five, six years before I finally just cut every, you know, cut them both off um, last summer. So it was just not a good place for a kid to grow up in my family, if I were me. <laughs> right. Um, for my brother, it was great because they made all their mistakes with me. They they wrote me off, and then just they just moved on to the next kid. Yeah. And that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you're alone in that yeah. either. Oh no, I know I'm not. Um, How? So, tell me a little bit about you know, like college, and and you're out of that house. Did you go away to college? Um, my first year, yes, and it was a total disaster. Um, I was, fi- you know, I, obviously I was finally away from my family, um, and I I ended up. Part, you know, partying, ha- you know, having a lot of sex. Um, I barely went to class. Um, I ended up getting kicked. You know, I I I, I got out. Of, I got kicked out of school because of bad grades. 
So second time around, I um, I went to a, a two-year school, um, a, a State University of New York campus up in northern New York, which is close to where my parents live. So I lived at home, commuted to school. Um, I did pretty well. Um, so I got got my associate's degree. Um, but then I, I kind of stalled for a little bit because I initially then transferred to a four-year school for psychology, and I realized I just was not in a place where I could focus on school. So I dropped out, and I actually ended up staying out of school for about nine years. Um, and in that, you know, and in the meantime, I moved out of the house when I was about 25. Um, moved to, you know, lived in several areas of um, upstate New York and ended up in the Albany area. And then after I got fired from, you know, and, and one other thing that has been really difficult, which is, which unfortunately made me financially dependent on my parents for a lot of time, was I had difficulty with holding on a job because of the ADHD and all the other you know, the, the PTSD, depression, anxiety, all of that definitely contributed to my difficulties with holding on to a, to a job for a long time. And so, um, you know, it was, it was just such a struggle to, um, you know, to keep going. But I ended up in Albany, I gotten fired from a job and I realized, okay, the state of New York is hiring accountants left and right. I'm good with numbers. I always enjoyed doing my tax return every year. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. That's weird. Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> weird isn't necessarily bad. And I, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, here I, you know, here I was late twenties, early thirties. I finally started embracing my weirdness, uh, embracing my dorkiness. And, <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, fortunately, my parents had always offered to pay for my bachelor's degree. So I was like, okay, mom, dad, I finally figured out what it is I want to do. So, you know, went to, you know, the, the local State University of New York campus there in Albany, you know, got my BS, um, went on to UConn and uh moved moved on to getting my uh master's degree from there so i got that all done in 2004 when i was 32 33. um and then went on with my career um so it was definitely you know once i got out of high school i have lived a very non-traditional life and i have absolutely no regrets about that at all um, I'm so glad that I ended up living the way that I needed to live. So. Yeah, it's like water seeking its its path. Absolutely, absolutely. Did getting your masters did that bring any joy to to your dad to your relationship? Yeah. Um. Yeah, which is which is funny because I actually got my masters before my brother did despite the fact that there was that, that, um, you know, that, that nine year gap in my education. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it was just, it, it was just one of those things where it's just like, eh. 
you know, anytime that I achieved anything, you know, even as an adult, it was just kind of like, Meh. you know, there was just, there was just no joy coming from, you know, coming from my parents at all. Um, at all. You know, it, it didn't matter what I, you know, what I did, you know, if I, you know, there was just no point in sharing anything with them because I knew what the reaction was going to be. And it was, you know, it was just such a killjoy. Um, and how were some of the other relationships in your life? You mentioned that you had, I, maybe it was your last relationship was with a, a trans woman. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually that was, that was a few relationships ago. Um, you know, and I'm still, I'm still friends with her. Um, you know, and that's one thing that I'm really glad of is that with with most of my former partners throughout the years, I've been able to at least keep a speaking, maintain a speaking relationship with them. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. Um, but this is somebody that I met before she even came out, before she even transitioned. So when I met her, she was still her her male self, and. Um, yeah, we, we connected immediately. We met in a Facebook group, actually, because um, she lives in Vancouver and I'm down, you know, and I'm down in Seattle. Um, but, you know, we, we connected and we became close friends. And then she, you know, and then she said um, that she was going to be coming down to Seattle to visit some friends and wanted to meet me. And so we met and we hit it off and we decided to date. And so we, we dated for a little while. But um, because I was still in that place in my life where I was so hung up on the physical aspect of, the, of a relationship because I really used sex as well as food to anesthetize myself, you know, and keep myself closed off. Um, so obviously when there were difficulties in that aspect of the relationship, you know, it was a red flag because I didn't want anybody to get to know me. <laughs> um, at least get to know me on a d really deep level. Um, right, an intimate level. Yeah, yeah. Intimacy, yeah. emotional intimacy is still very elusive for me um, with anyone. And um, and so it was just it was just really interesting to um, to get to you know to get to know her, but. Ultimately, I realized that she was getting too intense for me, and I just I couldn't deal with the kind of relationship that she wanted. And you know, so that on top of the physical disconnect, I was like, I can't do this. Um, you know, I can be friends with you, we can have that kind of relationship, but I cannot be a romantic partner. And so we ended our relationship, but we stayed in touch. We talked, you know, we talked during Facebook and then, yeah, so this was the fall of 2016, not long after I came out to my parents. Um, and then um, fast forward to March 8th of 2020, um, International Women's Day. That was the day she decided to come out as trans woman. And I couldn't have been happier for her. I couldn't have been prouder um, and it was something that I, that I shared with, you know, with my father and I said, Hey, you know, remember, you remember that guy that I used to date from Canada? <laughs> well, 
Um, and his response was, oh. <laughs> um, but obviously, with the, with the comments that he had made in the subsequent year and a half, I was in one ear and out the other. That yeah. someone that I cared about, you know, is, is trans. Um, so, um, but as far, you know, I, I, so as far as like romantic relationships, I, they've not been satisfying. Um, and that's my fault. Yeah. That's on me. Um, because I kept up all of those barriers and I, you know, I just wasn't ready to, to have that kind of relationship. And I don't know if, or when I will be, um, but I know that I would just be, I would not be a really good partner to anybody. And so that's why I'm choosing to just, you know, do my thing, work, you know, focus on my career, focus on my healing. And um, if at some point down the road, I feel comfortable with going in that direction, then I will. Um, but at the same time, I mean, dating these days, you know, is a nightmare, especially for an introvert like me. Um, well, ambivert. I mean, you know, um, I'm definitely an extroverted introvert <laughs> <laughs> um, with a with with crippling social anxiety. It's not a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but that means that I tend to have to rely on apps, and that's got its own myriad of problems. And so, as far as dating. Um, it's easier said than done <laughs> at this point. Um, so I'm just, I'm just, as I said, focusing on my career, focusing on healing, and then slowly but surely working on developing friendships and then just creating that foundation that I can hopefully start building upon. So it all, all of this also transfers to not just romantic relationships, but just all, all relationships. Sort of close, intimate relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I really don't consider myself. I'm, I'm, ba you know, I am that rock that Simon and Garfunkel sung about. Um, but not exactly by choice. Um, it's, it's just that, um, right now I have to start at, you know, ground zero and, and start building that because I never developed those socialization skills that I needed, um, in order to develop healthy friendships, you know, any sort of healthy relationships. I wouldn't know one if it bit me in the ass <laughs> right now. Um. And so, you know, being as different as I am, you know, and I have no regrets about that, never have, um, but, you know, but being that, you know, being as different as I am, it's difficult for me to be able to really connect with people and, and have those relationships. And I'm, I'm starting to have, you know, to take baby steps into those directions. But um, it's going to be a slow process, and you know, all I can do is just be patient with myself, be kind to myself, and just keep progressing. Well, that's good. So you can, 
if you if you look into the future, you can see yourself in the, with those healthy, intimate relationships, whether they're romantic or just platonic. Yeah. Um, well, I don't. I can't really see much into the future. Anyways, I I try to focus more on the now because okay. the now is what I can control okay. and is what I can manage. Um, I figure the future will work out the way it's going to work out. Um, and I have to have faith in that. Um, but all I can do is just live my life the way that is best for me. Um, which is why I've, I've always tried to, you know, which is why I tend to avoid labels too. Um, when people ask me about how I do certain things, I just say I do them Jane style and just leave it at that. Um, because, you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with being neurodiverse and queer and, um, you know, all the other things that I am, um, is that I tend to see life in a much different way. Um, and I know that, you know, I, I finally got my diagnosis of ADHD in 2016, but I didn't embrace it until I, until the spring of 2019. Um, and that's when I really started on the medication. And let me tell you, it took a long time for me to get used to that medication as well. Um, and be able to see the world in a different way because it, you know, once you get on the right medication for, a, you know, for a, um, you know, for a neurodevelopment disorder or a mood disorder, I mean, it really changes your perspective on everything. It just, you see things very differently and it can be very jarring. Um, so it's, it, it can be pretty crazy. Um, well, I want to say thank you for, for opening up and, and sharing your story with, with me. Um, I have a feeling there are a lot of people that are on similar journeys as you and, you know, hearing, hearing your journey, hearing your story will, will help, well, will, you. you know, they'll just to let people know that they're not alone. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always a, it, I've throughout my life when I have felt alone, you know, where, and to find out there's someone out there like me, it, I found it helpful and Good, refreshing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, you may be talking about, um, you know, transgender, yeah, transgender identity and sexual orientation and discovering that at a young age, but there's so much more to that. I mean, it's, it really is truly an intersectional issue. Um, because mental health comes into play, um, family background comes into play um, as people navigate this journey that you and I have both been on. Um, so it's really important to make sure that all factors are considered in, yeah. in hearing, this, hearing stories. So I'm, I'm glad to share my, you know, what my journey has been like. And I know that at this point, you know, it's it's really only been in the past year that I've been that I've actually felt hope for a better future for me. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm glad to share, and at least you know maybe not have a happy ending, but at least a hopeful ending. Yeah. And that's that's so important. It's progress, not perfection. So. Right. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you.